Welcome back to PS Editor's Podcast. I'm Greg Bruno. Unless you're a farmer, you probably haven't thought much about the earth beneath your feet. But perhaps you should. Its top layer sustains us, and the links between soil quality, crop productivity, and poverty are staggering. For many smallholder farmers around the world, soil quality can be the difference between economic security and a life of poverty and perpetual hunger. For the rest of us, soil is simply a forgotten necessity. As the UN Food and Agriculture Organization noted in its 2015 Status of the World Soil Resources Report, soils are fundamental to life on Earth, but with the ranks of farmers shrinking, fewer people than ever can comprehend that. Our guest today understands it better than most. Esther Gumbi is an entomologist and soil researcher at the University of Illinois and a senior fellow at the World Policy Institute. And she's long argued that if the world's human development goals are ever to be met, improving soil quality must be part of the solution. Hi, is this Esther? Yes. Hi, this is Greg. Thanks for joining us today at PS Editor's Podcast. Thank you for having me today. Now, I've reached you in your lab, I believe. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're sitting and uh, what kinds of uh, instruments and research equipment are you surrounded by? Thank you very much. So I'm surrounded by uh, a hood where we do a lot of the checking the microbes that we are working with and transferring them into uh, beakers and making solutions that then we use we walk with them to the greenhouses where we work with the with the plants, and I'm surrounded by by uh, incubators because microbes for them to grow they have to grow at a set set temperature, and that's where we keep them. So we have different uh, beneficial microbe strains that we use, and all these strains have different unique properties that in turn help the plants do a lot of amazing work and then yeah so quite a busy lab (laughs) it sounds like a a very busy place and i understand that microbes have a lot to say so perhaps we should start asking them uh, what they have to tell us exactly Uh, let's get right to it you study tiny things but i want to start with the big picture if we could the united nations estimates that by 2050 some 10 billion people will inhabit the earth and with declining supplies of fresh water, issues regarding feeding all those people will magnify and intensify. Now, given that agriculture accounts for about 70% of all fresh water, as, as you've written, it's clear that, that farming will need to adapt and become a bit more water efficient. So you've spent years studying one way to do that. Tell us a bit about your work and why, in your view, soil health is so critical for the future of humanity. Thank you very much. First of all, yes, we must acknowledge that our population is growing and it will continue to grow. So estimated, according to UN, by 2050 will be 9 billion of us. And you said it very well that we must still be able to feed um, the 9 billion people. And agriculture must continue to adapt. But the problem is... um, Agriculture, the success of agriculture depends on soil. 
because that's the foundation with which most of the crops that are eaten or will be eaten by mankind grow. The problem is 65% uh, of the soil in Africa and the African cont continent is degraded. It's not healthy and it won't be able to sustain the crop growth and uh, the agriculture that we need to be able to feed the, the expanding population. Knowing that uh, the soil is degraded and healthy, my research has been working on uh, understanding what are some of the natural uh, solutions that we can tap on. And uh, that's when I realized that actually some of those solutions actually live in the soil. <laughs> they, they are embedded in the soil and that's where we have the tiny microbes. So once again, the bigger picture is that we are growing, our population is growing, but the foundation with which we will need to feed this growing population cannot sustain. So, so what's happening to Africa's soils? I mean, you, you, you said just now, and you've noted this fact in some of your PS commentaries, that 65% of Africa's soils are quote-unquote sick. What does a sick soil look like specifically, and why is it such a problem for farmers in Africa in particular? Uh, so sick soil is a soil that clearly cannot grow healthy crops. And I believe you've seen pictures of some of the crops that are grown by smallholder farmers. If you ever put a side to side of a corn, say maize growing in a soil here in Urbana, Illinois, for example, compared to maize that's growing in my community, very different picture. It's like night and day. And the problem, why is the soil in Kenya, for example, and many other countries in Africa sick, is because for millions and many thousands of years, we've continued to just grow crops and misuse the soil without returning back to the soil. We consider soil as this non-depleting resource that is capable of just handling all the pressures of crop growth. However, it is not. So for example, farmers in, in uh, Africa keep on growing year after year, season after season, the same crops, and they do not rotate these crops, or they do not even do simple things like mulching to ensure that we return back some of the nutrients that the plants are taking away from the soil. So these are some of the reasons as to why soils and many soils in the African continent are degraded. Right, okay, and so it's that feeds into declining economic, uh, economic health and, and uh, weaker food security. So this idea of a soil poverty cycle is deeply connected. Correct, that's very true. And uh, as I said, you know, when you don't take care of your soil year and after year, you, you, you're losing, you know, you, you cannot sustain crop production anymore. You cannot, your yields are not increasing. Even though we live in uh, years where there's a lot of uh, innovation happening around improved seed varieties, uh, improved uh, drought tolerant crop varieties, fertilizers. But the problem is that without healthy soils, you still cannot enjoy 
these benefits that are coming from science innovation. So once again, unhealthy cells, no matter how many improved varieties, improved um, fertilizers that you use, you're not going to harness all these benefits. So, you know, there's there's dual tracks here. There's improving agricultural practices to ensure that growers and smallholder farmers are using the best means uh, available in the industry uh, to maintain soil health. But you've also done a lot of work uh, on whether or not microbes or certain bacteria in soil can kind of come to the rescue. Um, talk to us about your research and specifically, how does it work? I mean, the idea that beneficial bacteria can help plants grow bigger uh, with better yields, even in drought conditions. What is, what's the science behind that? So that's a very good question. So once again, as I say that, yeah, you know, for many years we've ignored these uh, microbes, uh, the, these beneficial soil bacteria. And why I love them and why my research is so focused and heavily on them, because first of all, they are present in the soil, so they are not, and they've lived with their plants for for millions of years, for billions of years, aiding plants to just survive over the years, whether it's drought um, and any other extremities that come along with the changing climate. But we, we, we never paid attention to them until just recently these researchers started, you know, to gain gain importance, or, well, I would say just almost five years ago. and. Um, so these tiny microbes, how do they work? They they sense when the plants are having um, stress, the plants will exude some chemicals. And then the bacteria also sense it. And they come and they uniformly work together. So they, are much, they form mutualism. So that means they are working together, beneficial uh, associations where the plant is benefiting because once they start working together, they start changing the chemistry of the plants. They start, uh, they induce so many other changes in the plants that eventually work to enable the plant to make the most out of uh, the nutrients. For example, they make the plants roots grow bigger. And when the plant roots grow bigger, it means that if there is not enough water, then the roots can be able to extend deeper down the soil to be able to access water levels. This eventually benefits the crop because then it will be able to grow and it will be able to withstand the absence of water. Secondly, we've also found that actually once um, the plants and the microbes talk, then the chemistry changes, the fragrance of the plant changes. And um, in the plant world, uh, fragrance and chemicals are very important because they mediate the interactions between the insect herbivores that come to hit the plants. They mediate interactions between the natural enemies of this insect pest. And so what we found out is that once a plant and the microbe have this amazing relationship together, the plant ends up becoming a decoy system in that it starts producing this fragrance that's saying, hey, don't come and eat me because everybody is trying to eat me. However, nobody is eating that plant. Actually, the plant is very healthy. 
So it in turn becomes a decoy system. So it's interesting. As you're speaking, I'm, I don't know if this is an apt analogy, but I'm thinking of like a speed dating round. And you as scientists <laughs> are bringing microbes and plants together to communicate. Um, Correct. Perhaps maybe a better analogy would be uh, marriage counseling. Um, <laughs> how do you, how, from a scientific perspective, how do you encourage this and how do farmers uh, change their practices? Is this about adding soil or doing things differently? Or is that still something that's uh, kind of contained to the lab? So you, let's say you just go to a field, you find some spots where the plants are growing like very well, and then you find spots where the plants are not doing well. So we first go to these plots where the, the plants are growing well, but because obviously something is is different. And that's where we find the community of microbes. So so we it's just naturally happening. So we pick the soils and the plants and we bring them to the lab and identify who is this? Who are these members of this community? Who are these uh, unique beneficial soil microbes? And once we identify them, then we also find out what are they doing? Are there any other benefits that we did not see from the field that we can see in the lab? And then once we see it, then now we work towards amplifying those benefits. And then we return them back to the soil and back to the farmers where they can now reuse those products to help them get more benefits. Then um, the other the other thing is, um, so as I said, they, these are natural, so we're not doing any any genetic engineering or anything. We're just amplifying the benefits that are already happening in the nature. Okay, okay. I mean, so that so that's an interesting um, field observation. I wonder though if there are any ethical issues to what we're talking about here. If it's encouraging uh, what's actually already happening, perhaps the answer is no, but I wonder how consumers in some places will uh, will respond to products and food grown in quote-unquote enhanced ways. I mean, will crops grown under these sorts of beneficial microbial conditions ever need any sort of GMO-type regulation? No, no, no. And clearly, like here in the U.S., they don't go through the standard screening that goes through with any other genetically modified uh crops or anything. These are natural, so FDA here in the U.S. doesn't require them to go through this very extraneous and, you know, screenings and everything to make sure that nothing is happening. As I said, we're not doing, we're not changing anything. We're just amplifying that what is natural. I think a good way to end is, is uh, bringing it back to where we started and talking about some of the challenges um, uh, that, that have uh, befallen farmers in, in Africa and spe- uh, specifically. You know, we talk a lot about bad agricultural practices and a lot of fingers get pointed uh, at growers specifically. But this isn't just the fault of farmers. I mean, governments play a role too in terms of setting policies and subsidizing monocropping and supporting agribusinesses rather than small organic farms. From that as, as context, what can be done to persuade governments to devote more attention to soil health and better crop management? And are some countries doing it better than others? 
Um, that's a, that's that's always a complicated question because we we have yeah we have the yeah big big big, uh, big farming businesses and then we have the smallholder farmers and it always feels like there's a clash because and the, the arguments are still clear because they say oh yeah smallholder farmers can never will never be able to feed the population that is arising and the, the need you know we can never satisfy production just by relying on smallholder farmers so we need the big farmers so i think it's just striking a balance striking a balance and ensuring that the governments you know understand that irrespective of who, of who they support we still the basic is soil health is important and beneficial soil microbes play a role in that they help us make sure that the health of the soil is there and no matter whether you're a big big business farmer because at the end of the day once again i did not probably discuss that you may have the ability to buy the pesticides but these microbes actually help your plants to be able to also take in the fertilizers that you're using so there is a benefits on both sides and governments must set policies that ensure that everybody every farmer big or small is taking care of the soil is making sure they are returning back to the soils they are using some of the practices that also return to the soil you know crop rotation uh mulching making sure we are not just monocropping and because when there's monocropping there's we lack the diversity and we we start subselecting these microbes and eventually they lose that ability to continue working with the crop so at the end of the day i think the governments have to support and implement policies that ensure that everybody is taking care of soil and that they are also providing subsidizes and incentives for everyone to protect soils because there are risks that come if we do not do that you know the climate is changing and ever more continuously will continue to rely on our this ali i always call them our allies that are there and they've been there for years and so governments have a role and they must play that role our invisible allies now are are any uh, examples or models or initiatives uh worthy of of pointing out whether it's the world bank's initiative to restore 500 million hectares of farmland or the global soil partnership recently launched by the fao uh, yes. are some of these programs inspiring and giving you hope that governments in africa and around the world recognize the importance of soil health definitely definitely and as i said it all began when it, with the goodwill of 2015 when the united nations made 2015 the year of the soil i think this truly said to everyone that hey soil is important we must protect it and then yes you already mentioned the global soil health partnership and and i think every day i read very good initiatives coming out from the ground which is a clear indication that yeah people are realizing that we must continue protecting the soil the world bank is doing also a good job ensuring that they they, they are asking countries to 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 take steps 
they, they're also rewarding and they're putting out incentives for farmers that actually uh, practice these practices. I like to say in North America, there's, I mean, clearly USDA, clearly there's a soil health partnership that are truly standing up and saying, yes, we must do this. And there are also incentives to the farmers, to the growers who are actively doing what is right. And I know in one of my writings, I pointed out that in South Africa, there's, there's a project that's ongoing where they are mapping the diversity of African microbes, which I think it's, it's important. I personally look for the day where Africa clearly maps and is able to identify the diversity of the unique beneficial soil microbes that are present. First of all, it's their wealth. I think there's a lot of wealth and that these microbes are stored as germplasm and they are stored for use in the future. I would be happy to see that where we, where we sequence all our soils and know who is there and the ones that are beneficial, they are protected, they are stored and to be used. And then we patent these products. Then these startups will start to, so there's a lot of wealth that can come up from just looking into the soil. Interesting. So kind of like a, a micro bank as opposed to a seed bank. Yes, 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 yes. And we need that. It's, it's important that I think we need to lobby for that and ensure that that happens. And because, yeah, we are realizing that microbes, even in the animal world, they're important. They're playing all these important roles. So we must know who they are and protect them and store them in the future. Yeah, these invisible helpers, as you put it, I think that's a, yeah. a, a nice, a nice yeah. way to, uh, to wrap up and, and leave the conversation. Thank you very much for making me talk about my friends. As I say, my invisible alias that we don't ever recognize. Well, I will start saying hi to them every step I take. Um, thank you. Thank you very much for your time today. Okay, thank you. Have a great day. That was Esther Gumby, an entomologist and soils researcher at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, and a senior fellow at the World Policy Institute. And that's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review our podcast and subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you like what you hear, why not subscribe to our newest editorial offering, On Point, available at www.project-syndicate.org. Until next time, I'm Greg Bruno.